Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, my name is Phil. I'm part of the Living Rock Church congregation that usually gathers in Market Harbour. It's been a strange year so far, hasn't it? Back in January, there were probably a few things in our diaries that we were looking forward to. You know, a family gathering, a holiday, a trip to somewhere special, or a visit from family or friends that in the end was probably not able to happen. We had our plans, but then events overtook them. Right now, it feels quite difficult to make plans. Even deciding how and when the church can gather again in a meaningful way is difficult. We can make some arrangements, but actually, we don't know what might happen over the next few months. Maybe we've started already to think about what might happen at Christmas time and what family arrangements might be. Or maybe we've taken the plunge and decided on booking a holiday for next year. But it kind of feels a bit dangerous to start to look forward to these things in case we're disappointed. And this brings me to a question I want to ask us all this morning, and it's a serious question. Are we looking forward to heaven? A couple of weeks ago, David shared from Colossians 1 in a message entitled, May You Be Strengthened. In Colossians 1, Paul talks about the confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. I've come to the conclusion that we don't talk about heaven enough. And that's perhaps because we're unsure of what we believe about it. I do believe that if we are sure of what God has already told us about heaven, it would change the way we consider our own lives on this earth and motivate us in our mission as the church to see others come to know Jesus as saviour of the world. So this morning, I want us to look simply at the scriptures which talk about heaven in order that together we are encouraged and strengthened. And if we're not encouraged, then something has gone wrong this morning. I believe that there is an eternal plan that's still playing out. It's not being cancelled by COVID or anything else. There is something to look forward to, not just as some broad theory which we don't quite understand, but something which we can genuinely get excited about in a way which influences our choices and decisions in this present age. Some people, believers included, and I'm sure that secretly a few of us have related to this at some point in our lives, think that heaven sounds a bit boring. I mean, how much sitting on a cloud and playing a harp can one do before the novelty wears off? And have you ever looked at how the classical art world depicts heaven? It will often depict our heavenly state as floating around in some kind of other world. Or sometimes there are scenes of the redeemed with wings and we're flying with some rather portly baby angels. And don't even get me started on the pictures of the heavenly banquet, which as far as I can tell consists mainly of grapes. And they're eaten in a reclined position by dangling a whole bunch over our mouths. Is that really what heaven is like? Is it any wonder we get confused? Maybe something has stuck in our minds about endless worship and singing around the throne of God and part of us is secretly thinking that just sounds like an eternal Sunday service and really we haven't got the stamina for that at all. You know, we need to turn to the scriptures to learn what God has to show us about heaven. The scriptures teach that after death, those who have named Jesus as Lord will be saved and be with him forever whilst those who do not trust Jesus will be cast into hell. 
When I first responded to the gospel as a boy, I'm sure that some of my motivation for trusting Jesus was not to go to hell. Fair enough, I guess, but without realising all that God has already said about eternal home. The gospel is far bigger than following Jesus merely to avoid the torment of hell. The gospel, the good news, is that those who name Jesus as Lord and Saviour will live with him forever on the new earth when all things are finally renewed and restored. There are many misconceptions about heaven, one of them being that it is totally unimaginable. And if you think about it, we cannot desire what we cannot imagine. In fact, some people will quote Paul in his letters to the Corinthians when speaking about God's plan of redemption for mankind through the death of Jesus. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And those words on their own could sound like they're almost an excuse for not trying to picture what God has planned. But context is everything here, because Paul goes on to say, But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Paul is saying that God does reveal his secrets to his people by his Spirit. If, if we have received God's Spirit, we can, with his help, know and understand things that we have already been told in the Scriptures that really do help us to imagine what heaven will be like. And there's nothing wrong with looking at the Scriptures and trying to picture, trying to imagine what our eternal home might be like. Sure, there are questions that we're still going to have. You know, some things will remain a mystery, even if we diligently read all that is in the scriptures concerning heaven. But what God has revealed already, he has revealed for a reason. He wants us to know, to look forward to all that he has prepared for us. Throughout both the Old and New Testament, there are many promises and statements concerning our eternal state, which are there to stir our faith and bring great hope and strength. So let's start looking at what God has already said about heaven by looking at his word. The objective being to establish hope, to bring strength and security, and to enable us to ask ourselves, how then shall we live? So what does God want us to know? Well, he wants us to know that we will be ourselves in heaven. God has saved us personally, and we can personally be assured that our eternal home is with God. Listen to Job's bold declaration. He said, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at that thought. Job is saying, no doubt, I'm going to see him in my body for myself with my own eyes. God also wants us to know that we will know one another in heaven. We will recognise one another. Writing to the church in Thessalonica, Paul says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. 
First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. There should then be a corporate expectation and anticipation of resurrection and being with the Lord forever. Paul states we will be with the Lord forever. The church of Jesus on earth, all of us together, will be the same people with the Lord forever. So keep on encouraging each other with these words. On the days when one or another of us are struggling to keep perspective, let's keep encouraging one another, helping us all to lift our eyes to the realities of heaven. As Paul instructs the Colossians, since you have been raised to life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. God also wants us to know that heaven is a physical place where we will have physical bodies, resurrected bodies. We will not spend eternity floating around in the ether as a disembodied spirit, but rather have a physical resurrection body, just as Jesus himself has a resurrection body. Heaven is the term we use to describe the place where God dwells. It's where his throne is. And note that the term heaven is different to the way scripture will sometimes speak about the heavens, as in the heavens and the earth, that is the skies and the universe beyond. The present heaven, the present place where God dwells, is currently hidden from our eyes. It reminds me of the words in Colossians 1 that David referred to a couple of weeks ago, which say that Jesus is Lord over the things we can see and the things we can't see. We can't see heaven right now, but we are assured of this. When our natural, earthly life is over, we will be in the place where God dwells, heaven. The scriptures show us at the present, that in the present unseen heaven, there may well be a physicality about the people and things found there. In John's revelation, he describes thrones and crowns and scrolls and creatures, all physical things. In chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, we read of those who had been martyred because of their faithfulness to God, shouting out to the Lord, and they're wearing robes, and they're looking forward to a time when God will act. All of these things, voices, clothes, the passage of time, they all suggest a physicality in the unseen realm that may surprise us. But best of all, the scriptures also tell us that there will be a day when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and every eye will see him. And at that time, all things will be resurrected and restored. All things are going to be made new. Acts 3.21 says, For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Will was encouraging us last week to be the salt of the earth, to be the restorers of the world around us. But there's going to be a final restoration of everything, as promised many times in Scripture, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Daniel, in the Psalms, and many other places, there are specific statements made about the age to come. To start to understand the heart of what God has in store for us, we need to turn to the front of our Bibles, 
to the first chapter of the book of Genesis, in which we read about how God brings the universe into existence, the earth and the heavens, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, and he declared it all to be good. And then he causes the earth to sprout with vegetation and he fills the seas with fish and the air with birds and he blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply. He creates creatures that live on the land and finally he breathes his life into mankind, again blessing them and saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God's plan and design for mankind was that they should rule and reign on the earth, an earth which he deemed to be good. And you know, that is still his plan. God has never, ever given up on, on humanity. He's never, ever given up on the earth. So for those of us in 2020 looking for a plan which will actually come to fruition, here it is. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul writes, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ everything in heaven and on earth. And that's why Peter could write, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Just like Peter, we can confidently look forward to the fulfillment of God's plan, a world filled with God's righteousness. Since the fall of man, that is since sin entered our world, the whole earth has been under a curse. The earth and everything on it, which God deemed to be good, has been dulled and dimmed as a result of the curse. You see, the curse was all-encompassing. Although it was man, the steward of God's creation, who sinned, all of creation suffered. Look around us. Some of the effects of the curse are clear and very obvious to us, while some things have, we've simply just never seen in their original state, and in that sense, we don't really know what we're missing. Sometimes we see something that just takes our breath away, it captivates us with its beauty. But even these things are dim and dull compared to the original creation. Listen to these verses from Romans 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So scripture is saying that all creation was subject to the curse, but that all creation is looking forward to the day when it will join God's children in freedom from death and decay. All creation, which by definition includes the whole universe, the earth, the animals, the fish, the birds, everything that was created will be restored. And just as the curse was all-encompassing, so the restoration will be 
all-encompassing. Here's the primary way in which the restoration of the earth will be evident. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God himself will dwell on the new earth with his people. Heaven is no longer going to be an unseen realm, but rather heaven, the dwelling place of God, will be the new, resurrected, restored earth. The prayer which is so often prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will become a permanent reality. Remember, heaven is the place where God has his throne. When God comes to dwell on the new earth with his people, that new earth is by definition heaven. One of the reasons that even believers can lose their excitement about heaven is that we can think it's so unknown and unimaginable. But I believe there will be a familiarity to the new earth, even taking into account its new restored nature. For a start, scripture describes it as a new earth, not even a new planet or a new world. Earth, currently the only place in the universe where life can survive and flourish. This earth is a physical place and the new earth will also be a physical place inhabited by restored people with restored resurrected bodies. God would not declare that there will be a new earth if it wasn't an earth at all. Because we're familiar with the concept of an earth, we can surmise then that there will be restored landscapes and scenery and places to go, people to be with. According to Revelation 21, there will be a great city, the New Jerusalem, but it would appear that there will be cities, plural, nations and righteous rulers over these places. There will be restored vegetation and all sorts of creatures. I must admit, until I started studying all that we're told about the new earth, I'd not given much thought to whether there would be animals in heaven, but there must be. They are part of the creation that God is going to restore. I'm not saying that you will see your dearly departed pet hamster in heaven. Scripture tells us that it's only mankind created in God's image who has an eternal spirit which carries over into the age to come. But we can expect to see creatures that God has created present and restored on the new earth. Just think about it. God hasn't changed his mind about all the things he created and declared to be good. And the new earth will be a place of continual worship in the truest sense. People living worshipful lives where all that we do is to the glory of God. It will be a place of work, of tending over and caring for the new earth. Remember that God created work before the fall and before the curse. It will be a place of sights and sounds and tastes and smells. The new earth will be a place of endless exploration and discovery. God created mankind to be curious, to want to learn, to invent. I don't believe that restoration makes us all knowing just like God. Indeed, Adam and Eve were not all knowing just like God before the fall. But rather, life on the restored earth will be a life of discovery and anything but boring. Imagine a new earth where the good is restored and all that is evil is left behind. Imagine restored relationships, restored art, restored music, sport, travel. None of these things are bad in themselves and they're all ways in which mankind expresses creativity. Just imagine being able to perfectly steward all that God has entrusted to us. We may not have considered some of these concepts before. 
Perhaps we are confused by the scriptures which seem to speak of the total destruction of the earth and heavens. We may have scriptures stuck in our minds, uh, such as these. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements will themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. It's 2 Peter 3. Or Jesus' words, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Or again, in the Psalms we read this, Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them. That's Psalm 102. And finally, from the revelation of John again, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Revelation 21. Some might say these passages all seem to suggest complete destruction of the existing earth and heaven. But we need to hold in balance other scriptures, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which talk about how God's judgment will destroy wood, hay or straw, but will purify gold, silver and costly stones. A destruction which burns up the bad, but purifies the good. God did not create the earth and the universe simply to throw it away. Their passing away does not have to mean that they go out of existence, but that their present condition passes away. Not wanting to trivialise matters too much, but I could describe to you that a few years ago we had a new kitchen. The old kitchen was ripped out and destroyed. That doesn't mean the house was demolished or that our village was burned to the ground. There is still a place, or there was still a place within the structure of our house where a renewed and a restored kitchen was to be. There's so much more that we could look into and I'd encourage you to do that. But with all this in mind, aren't we starting to feel not only excited, but also astounded by all that God has prepared? Not only that, but in awe of the fact that God was so committed to his plan that he would send his son Jesus to rescue us from the grip of sin and to present us as his righteous people, not because of anything we have done, but because of everything that Jesus has done through his death on the cross and his rising from death to prove that he had power and authority over death, not just for himself, but for all that believe in him. God tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In seeing just a glimpse of what this eternal life from the new earth might look like, who would knowingly refuse this free gift? I don't know exactly who's watching this virtual gathering this morning, but I do need to make sure we have all asked and answered this question. Have I accepted this free gift from God? Have I named Jesus as Lord over my life? I know people who think they may consider this question sometime in the future. It's a bit heavy for now, right? Well, no, actually, not right. None of us know how much future we have on this present earth before we stand before God. You know, there is much we can learn and we'll continue to learn about God, but faith in Jesus is not for the unusually clever, obviously, or for academics, or people of a certain age or race or social group. This free gift of God is for everyone. I believe there'll be someone watching this morning and you are the only one in your family who has not yet received this free gift from God. Don't delay. Jesus is ready today to extend to you his forgiveness, 
to give you his Holy Spirit, to help you live a life which shows that he is Lord and to give you certainty that no matter how many days are left on this earth, there is everlasting, fulfilling life to be had on the new earth when all things are renewed and restored. And if you'd like us to, we'd love to help you respond to the call of Jesus over your life today. Just get in touch with us via the chat page on our social media channels or email us at findlife@livingrock.church. If we have already confidently received God's free gift, how then should we live in the light of what God himself tells us of the age to come? Well, I believe we can choose to have a spiritual, eternal mindset. For those who feel I have passed my peak, God's word says your peak is yet to come and it will last forever. For those who might say, I can't do the things I used to do, God's word said, but but you'll be able to do those things again and more. For those who might say, I just want to visit that place or see this site before I die, we need to say, there are no need for bucket lists for the believer. You will literally have forever to take in all the things that God has created and they will be even more spectacular than ever before. Peter puts it like this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming day of God. Based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. We can choose to live well in the light of heaven as godly people, as salty people, people with a firm eye on heaven, ready to fulfil our commission to be restorers of all things in this present age until Jesus returns for the final restoration of everything. I'd really like to finish today by inviting us to read together wherever we find ourselves this morning. This is from Revelation chapter 21. So let's all read aloud. Let's allow the word of God to dwell in us richly. Here we go. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with him and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.